WPSL Port St. Lucie. It's 9 o'clock and time for We Are Just Christians live from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie. Here are your hosts, Mike Schmidt and Gary Jones. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning, Good morning. and welcome to We Are Just Christians. We really appreciate you tuning into the show today. And we're so glad you're with us. Hope you can make it a habit every week to be with us here on We Are Just Christians uh, at 9 o'clock on uh, WPSL Eastern Time. And uh, we'll be with you for the next hour. We Are Just Christians is a live call-in show. So we're going to be giving you some numbers in just a moment, how to get a hold of us. If you'd like to communicate with us, either by phone or email or text, something like that. My name is Mike Schmidt. I'm a preacher, one of the elders here at the Church of Christ on Savannah Boulevard. And as usual... Our partner, Gary Jones. How you doing, Gary? I'm here this morning, Mike. Gary, Gary is the other elder here in the church. And we bring you this show each week to promote the idea of being just a Christian, going back to the New Testament to find out how we should uh, think and believe, not only as individual Christians or individual people, but also uh, how the church should be structured and f- operate. Uh, beyond denominationalism, we're more, uh, some people say, pre-denominational, Gary, I would not call us non-denominational, because that implies that you don't really believe much of anything, uh, but we certainly have pretty persistent and, and clear beliefs about most things, which we are express on this show, because that's what the scriptures teach. But we are undenominational, meaning we're not a part of the denominational world, at least in our understanding of that, because we do not accept the creeds and doctrines that humans have developed over the centuries and call Christianity. We go back in a more primitive way just to the New Testament, and then as it relates to the old, we also teach that as it works together to be what, what God wants us to do. So that's what this show is about, and it, it, we, it's not so much regressive, it really, it's progressive, because we believe this is the way forward to unity, not only among Christians, but the teaching what, of what the New Testament says about how to live is of great benefit to the whole world, to all of our friends and neighbors, whether they're Christians or not. Uh, and so we believe this is the way forward into the future, not just a regressive, we're trying to recreate the past. It isn't a matter of recreating the past. Jesus describes, Gary, this whole thing, and we'll, I don't want to get too involved in this now because we've got to give the numbers, but Jesus describes this idea that we're trying to promote here as planting a seed. The seed is the word of God in Luke 8 in the parable of the sower. When that seed is planted and it falls on different hearts, you have different results, soils, but when it falls on good and honest heart, it brings forth fruit. It brings forth the kind of seed or the kind of crop that was intended, that the seed represents in the first place. So we're just trying to reproduce here in this century what Christ intended by planting the same seed that he planted, not the seed of councils and, and doctrines or even scientific dogma, the, you know, the scientific religion, I would call it today, not science, but a scient- scientism. That isn't going to be a solution. So we're trying to plant that seed. Well, look, it goes back, Mike, to John 12:48. I keep quoting that, uh, that verse, and I'll keep quoting that verse. Jesus says, he who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. Correct. Well, and that's a verse we ought to all remember. We talk about that verse every week here on the show. Now, Let's give you the numbers. You can reach We Are Just Christians by calling the regular call dial-in number for WPSL, 772-340-1590. 772-340-1590 is the number to reach us. 
And what's going to happen when you call, uh, in case you don't know what might happen there, is uh, Ray is going to take your call at the station there. He's going to patch you through to us over Skype. And we'll try to have a conversation with you. If you want to ask your question or make your comment, whatever it may be, we'll we'll, uh, give you a chance to, to talk. We'll respond with hopefully some scriptural analysis or some scriptures. And then... You know, you can ask follow-up questions, make follow-up comments, whatever it might be. So we'll have a discussion if we can, and we're always going to give you the last word. This show is not about embarrassing anybody. It's not about dominating anybody or proving ourselves to be right. It's about treating the Scriptures with respect and looking at hearing what you have to say. And we would be glad to have calls. In fact, we'd like to encourage calls from people that are not Christians or believers at all. Uh, because that would be a, a way for us to really, you know, communicate. And I like to hear what you have to say, good, bad, or indifferent. We don't mind if it's negative or critical at all. We're going to treat you with respect, and hopefully, you do the same for us. So, if you want, if you want to call in and just make a comment or ask a question, hang up. That's okay too. But we'd like to have a conversation with you if you want to call in seven seven two three four zero fifteen ninety. Don't be afraid to call in about that because, well, thinking somebody's not going to want to hear what you have to say. Most everybody has the same kind of questions and they have the same ideas. So somebody else is going to be really glad that you asked the question that you did. I can guarantee you, just from having done this for a while, people are going to be glad that you asked your question or made your comment. Maybe it's some criticism. And they're going to be glad you said it. So don't feel embarrassed about that. Now, the other way that you can reach us this morning uh, directly, and hopefully you can reach us, uh, you, we can communicate with you while we're on the air some way is by text message and we have two text numbers i have a text number and gary jones has a text number they're very similar so here they are mike's text number is 772 uh, 3 sorry 772-260-6120 772-260-6120 is my text number that's mike schmidt and then gary jones's text number is 772-260 Six two two zero seven seven two two six zero six two two zero. That's the two text numbers. And if you text us during the show, we'll do our best to respond to that text either on the air or back to a text message to you. And you can also use the text numbers to call contact us during the week. Some people do that. They'll just send a text during the week, for, uh, you know, idea, something to think about, or a question or a comment. And we're always glad to receive those at seven seven two two six zero. 6120 or 6260 You can also email the show at I can't check my email very well while we're on the air here. Got too much other junk on my little screen as it is. But 772260 I mean, just I'm sorry, my brain is way ahead of itself this morning. Just Christians at att.net. Well, Gary, I like to think my brain's ahead. It, it's probably about. 15 seconds behind where it should be. <laughs> but I like, to, I like to think it's ahead of where it should be, you know, just to make myself feel better. But anyway, if you'd like to call, contact us, we'd be glad to hear from you. It's a live call-in show, so we encourage you to do that. And uh, if we don't, if you don't pick up on it right away, Ray there will let us know if we're not answering your call right away. So just hang on if you call in. Well, Gary, we got a bunch of things that we've been talking about uh, over the last few, oh, by the way, you, you don't have to call in and talk about what we're talking about. We've just, we just come to the show sort of with some ideas to, to talk about and, uh, you know, 
we've got to have something we're going to talk about for an hour here. So we do that. But we don't mind switching subjects at all. In fact, most calls we get, I would say, that uh, they don't have anything to do with uh, what we're talking about at all. They have to do with what the what the caller wants to talk about. So we don't mind switching subjects. But I got a whole bunch of stuff here, just been accumulating, Gary, of different things. We do want to get back to, but I think you were telling me a moment ago you want to think about this some more about Somebody asked a question recently, how can I find a New Testament church? Yes, or how can I find yes. a church of the Bible? Now, we've addressed that issue a couple of times. It seems like we haven't really finished it because of you know calls and stuff. And I don't mind talking about that today. But well, I thought... I'll go. First, the first one we said was basically you asked a question um, about, you know, what, what must I do to be saved? And we talked about what's in Scripture. If you don't get that answer, then you know what you're dealing with. But I would yes. say many of the ways to recognize a New Testament church has to do with questioning what they teach. And so that's how it's it's not a matter of what's on the sign out front. front. Right. Because Jesus did not give a name for his church, a specific, exclusive, proper name. It's not the Church of Christ, it's not the Church of Jesus Christ, it's not the Catholic Church, not the Presbyterian. Now, here's the thing. Some names I see on signs are reflected in the Bible itself. They come from the Bible, like Church of God or Church of Christ. Yes. But but some of these names, the Church of the blah, 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 and, you know, Temple of the Lord, all those kind of names are not in the Bible, or Presbyterian, Lutheran, Catholic. None of those are in the Bible either. And so I would certainly not think that you're going to find the New Testament church in an organization or church that doesn't even respect what the Bible calls the church by a name. And yet the Bible gives no exclusive name. But then once you get past the sign, what really matters is what you're taught. being taught when you go there and what kind of positions and what what practices you see when you go there. Yes. That's what you've got to evaluate against the scriptures. And, and of course, a lot of people, Gary, uh, Gary or so, I imagine, I don't say this at all in, in a bad way, but they're, they're unprepared to do that because – they go there so they can learn about the Bible. They're not all they're not experts in it at all themselves, so they want to learn. So sometimes people are not in a good position to evaluate immediately what they're hearing. But that's what this show's about, is to keep you focused to compare what the scriptures say. So when you if you're listening to this show this morning, if you're listening almost none of you come to this building on Sunday morning to hear it. I mean you know that kind of from from observation. And if that's true, then you, wherever you go, if you go to church this morning or anywhere, you need to think about what you're hearing, be comparing it to what you know the Bible says at this point in time, and be, always be asking yourself, well, where is that in the Bible? I thought all of them do this or do that. Where is that in the Bible? Well, there's even an example of this in the Bible, and I'd like to turn to Acts chapter 17. I want to begin reading at verse 10. And Paul, this is a part of Paul and Silas's journey. Beginning in Acts chapter 17 and verse 10, it says, Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. And these were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Right. That's the example. So they they were willing they they received what Paul said with open open mind and then they compared what he had told them with what they could read. Uh, in this case, the people he's referring to are people that are 
Jews in a synagogue, and they were willing to be open-minded and compare what he said with what they knew from the Old Testament scriptures. And, and, and yet that wasn't Paul's experience in most of the synagogues he went into, right. nor would it be today. Well, Gary, we've got a call from Jerry from Fort okay. Pierce. Are, are you there, Jerry? Uh, good morning, uh, Mike. Good morning, Gary. How you doing? Uh, just wondering about uh, the uh, first judge or whatever uh, that Christ was brought in front of was uh, a Pontius Pilate. And I was wondering, was he the, the governor of Judea or... Uh, what was his actual position? And uh, in in Canada, they call them provinces. Uh, in the United States, they call them states. And what was the province of Judea? And, and how many uh, different provinces was there uh, in that in that land? And I'd like to listen off air. That'd be okay, Mark. Okay, that's great, Gary. Hope I can remember all the questions you asked. We'll try to do that. Well, uh, to start the back end, the uh, pro- the Roman Empire was divided into Rome itself and then various provinces uh, of the Roman Empire. And Judea had become a province of Rome in, I think, the 60s B.C. down to the 40s, somewhere in that range. I had to look up the exact dates. But a generation or so before Christ came, well, Judea about, had become I a province. I think Julius Caesar was the first Roman Caesar to actually rule over what we call Palestine or Judea today. Right. So, uh, so that would have been for like forty. Uh, well, he died in forty-four, I think. Forty-four, so. yeah, a little bit before that time. Yeah. Yes. So, um, that that would have been the beginning of the Roman rule of Judea. Uh, other people have been in charge of. Now, then, he, here's the interesting fact, and it was probably reflected in other provinces. Some provinces had special standing because they were very much like Rome. They submitted. They submitted very. Um, easily to the Roman rule, and they were very Roman in their, and so forth, like the, some of the Greek provinces. And so they were given special status. The people of those cities were considered Roman citizens for the most part. But Judea was not. Judea was always a rebellious province because the Jews would not submit to the Gentile rule very easily and, and the imposition of the laws that they considered to be uh, wrong, and they were uh, you know, pretty stubborn people. So, so they had a dual system of government in Judea at the time of Christ. There was the, maybe three governments, but there was the rule of the Romans over the whole land militarily, and they put governors like Pontius Pilate, procurators, over that over that land that changed. And then they had, uh, to be more helpful to the Jews, supposedly, they appointed the Herod family, who were part Jewish, Idumean and part Jewish, the Herods to kind of be a liaison between the Jewish people and the Romans. And that's where Herod came in, the different Herods, Herod the Great, and then Herod Antipas and so forth on down. Some before, when Christ was born, they had the babies killed with Herod the Great. And then you had his son and grandson by the time Paul was you know, dealing with things 60 years later, 50, 60 years later. And, and so then on below that, on the more local levels or religious level, were the San, was the Sanhedrin and the council of the Jews themselves emanating from Jerusalem and some of the other places that they were given charge over religious matters for the most part. Anything had to do with the Jewish religion or Jewish customs. The, Herod kind of gave some deference to the, to the Sanhedrin and to the scribes and Pharisees and other political figures. 
and you had that thing, and then you had they had to deal with Herod, and then finally above that were the Romans, and that's why you have cases where some of the Romans will say, "Why are you bringing this before me? This is a local, this is a religious matter. You need to judge that for yourselves." But eventually, before they could, here's the thing: before they could do a lot of sentencing and judging and do legal matters, but when it come to put came to putting someone to death or imprisoning them for a long time or other kinds of punishment. They had to defer to the Romans. And so before they could put Christ to death there at that time, they had to bring him before Pontius Pilate. He was first judged by the Sanhedrin, the council. Then he was judged by Herod. Then he was brought before Pilate, as I, as I recall, without having you know looked this up here uh, yeah, what, what, what we but, need to understand also, I think, is that the Roman government was divided also within that territory. I right. think, Mike, that I read somewhere that Josephus actually named something like 10 cities within Judea where there were, you might call sub-governors or some kind of governor that ruled over Judea in, in those even more local areas. Right. Uh, so, you know, we, we, we find things that, though, that... The Romans guaranteed uh, their citizens only certain privileges and rights, which is some of those things uh, found their way into our own government. Right. But there was a, that was only a, a, a fraction of the total population right. of these areas. Right. And most people that lived in Judea were not Roman citizens, and right. most Jews were not Roman. That's why they were surprised later when they were they beat Paul, and yeah. he and says, "Are you going to lay? You've laid a hand on a Roman citizen, and that without a trial, right? That military officer was afraid for his own life at that point because he had just violated the Roman law, and he could be put to death for beating a Roman citizen. Now, Paul didn't want that to happen, but when he when he said he was a citizen, everything changed for Paul to some degree. He got treated differently, even though he was eventually put to death. He was treated differently, but he had to go to Rome. He had to, go to, Rome the, to appeal to Caesar." Right. In this case. So when you first start reading about this, for example, and the different Gospels have more than some more than others about this. But in, in the book of Mark, uh, the chief priests and elders and so forth, they they uh, they had plotted against Jesus. They came in the garden because they got Judas to betray him. They laid hands on him and took him before. This is in Mark fourteen fifty seven. And those who had laid hold of Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and elders were assembled. And Peter followed a great distance. And the chief priests, the elders, and all the council, that's the Sanhedrin, sought to false testimony against him to put him to death and so forth. And they began to bring some of the te- – I'm not going to read all this testimony there. But, but then uh, they, they said he's deserving of death. He blasphemed, so they, they beat him, others struck him, and so forth. Now then, you find that, and I, I was standing not, not a little over a year ago in probably in this very building and courtyard where he was eventually he was taken before Caiaphas and then before um, before Herod. So then they take him to Pontius Pilate. And when morning came, all the chief priests. This is Mark 27. Excuse me, I said Mark. Uh, Matthew 27. When morning came, all the chief priests and elders of the people plotted against Jesus to put him to death. When they had bound him, they led him away to be delivered unto Pontius Pilate, the governor, and so forth. So uh, he, he goes to the governor of Judea. He faces Pilate. You got this famous interchange here with 
Jesus and Pilate about what's truth. And, and Jesus says, if, you know, I've done wrong. You put me to death, but I've done no wrong and so forth and so on. And then. Um, well, it, uh, let me chase a rabbit for just okay. a second right. here, uh, Mike. It, it's really interesting, and, and we don't have time here because I don't have everything in front of me. But it's very interesting because of the system of government to understand what happened to Jesus on that night he was tried. He was drugged back and forth across Jerusalem several times to these different people for judgment, each one of them kind of deferring to the next because it seems like they really couldn't find anything wrong with what he did. No, and they they knew that they couldn't. And the the Jews knew that they were going to have a hard time making this false testimony where these witnesses all contradicted themselves stand up in a court with Pilate. So they tried to make it, they tried to kind of deceive him about what was being said. And they went back and forth between these um, these two things. And that's why, you know, eventually Pilate washes his hands of the whole matter. He, he doesn't want to be accused of not pleasing the Jews. And so we ask him, well, it's my custom to turn over a prisoner to you uh, at the Passover. Who do you want? You want Barabbas or do you want Jesus? And as I mentioned before, the word Barabbas, the name of this man, means son of the father, the father's son. So it's ironic that his name is Barabbas. So you want you want the father's son or you want Jesus? <laughs> they chose the wrong father's son, yeah. uh, you know, to, to keep. And so that's the difference. So Pilate was a Roman. He was a Gentile. Most what you know about Pilate in the Bible, I'm not sure Pilate was an evil man in the sense that he was di- he wasn't diabolical. Now, now Herod the Great and some of the other Herods, oh, they were, and, and Caiaphas they were, the Jew, they were diabolical. They were evil. evil. Yes, Pilate is more of a coward and a politician. He just doesn't want this to go badly for him and reflect back to Rome that he let some kind of trouble start brewing. That's why everything was going well for Jesus to a point, when, except when the Jews began to holler out, "If you release this man, you're not a friend of Caesar's." And so that began, that, that really, you know, bothered him. And so that's when he said, okay, take him away and crucify him. I don't care. You want to put him to death? Go ahead. He gives his approval. And he washed his hands of the matter and so forth. But Pilate only had a stake in this in, in a political sense. Except that, two things. We can say things are just political, but I don't believe that's true from the Bible. Oh, that's just politics. Look, how you act in the political realm and your your thoughts, ideas, and especially your motives are reflection of your soul and who you are. Pilate's wife had warned him from a dream she had not to have anything to do with this man Jesus because he was a good man. Don't have anything to do with him. And so and, and Pilate didn't listen to her. He got embroiled in this. He should have he should have sent the Jews away with Jesus said, Leave him alone. Don't have, don't do anything to him. But he got embroiled in it. And then when he got embroiled in it, he didn't have the courage to say, no, I know. He keeps telling him, I find no fault in this man. I find no fault in this man. And yet he, when he finds no fault in the man, what was his duty as a governor and a let judge? Him let him go. But he can't do that because of his politics, because of the way it would look, what people would think about him, and how it would reflect on his power. And so his political nature overruled his moral nature in this case. And he became known in history as one of the, as a wicked man, a, a deceitful, cowardly man that washes his hands of moral good. You can't wash your hands of moral issues and walk away from them. You're not. It's just not permitted in the in the universe for you to walk away from moral 
moral choices unscathed. You got to make a choice. That pesky little thing called ethics. Yes, it's right or wrong, and, and you can't just ignore it like Pilate tried to do in this case. So, yes, Jerry, Pilate was a Roman, and he was not. He didn't consider himself bound by the Jewish law, but he was there. Basically, the Romans put him in place to exert his authority when necessary to keep the peace. They wanted things to be peaceful. They didn't want revolts. They didn't want a lot of crime, and they wanted the tax money, the tribute money, to keep flowing from Judea. If he didn't keep things orderly and at least put some kind of good face on Rome, the tax money would be harder to collect. He would have trouble all the time. There'd be revolts, which there eventually were. And Pilate went back to Rome eventually in disgrace. Eventually. Historically, we know about him. We know Pontius Pilate from history. He's not just a biblical figure. But he always was uh, a consummate politician for the most part. Well, several of the Roman rulers were uh, or historical figures that are mentioned in the Bible, I think. Right. Uh, Festus and, and some of the others. Uh, records have been found of those. This, this is not something that happened in someone's imagination. No, no. This is all, they, we know the dates and times of most of these things in a, in a broad right. sense. Now, here's a verse, Gary. It's not about the crucifixion, uh, but it's, it reflects this government system that Jerry asked about here in the Bible. It, it's in Luke 3. Um, in Luke 3, it says, uh, now in the 15th year, this is, this is at, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, okay? Now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar. So there's a, it's not a once upon a time story. That's verse 1, by the way, for those. Oh, did I not say that? Yeah, chapter 3, verse 1. It's not a once upon a time story. Now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, Herod being tetrarch of Galilee. That means there were three rulers in the, that were in, over the area, and Galilee was one of those three regions. And his brother Philip, tetrarch of Iteria and the region of Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, which An, with, while Annas and Caiaphas were high priests, the word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. So here's John the Baptist, beginning of his ministry, and Jesus follows very shortly after And by that. the way, I think we've now found, uh, for a while they didn't have records of uh, Aeneas and Caiaphas, and now I think they've found... They found the bones of Caiaphas. Caiaphas yes. Yeah. So we, we, we're, finding, we're finding all of these people mentioned here are historical figures in about the time that... I've got a file on my computer here, so I can look it up if anybody wants to call in and ask about it, but I've got a file of 50, at least 50 historical figures that the Bible mentions that have been verified by actual historical records and documents. Uh, so the Bible is not made up in that sense. So this gives you then, Jerry, that three-pronged government of Pontius Pilate overall as um, the Roman governor, and then Herod as a tetrarch of Galilee, that province of Galilee. And he was part Jewish, part not. And that's why that family was put in power by the Romans to keep the peace as much as possible. Although the the, the Romans here made a little bit of a miscalculation. The Jews are not going to respect a man who's part Edomite, you know, his family. He did, they didn't really consider him a Jew. He was better than having a Gentile over them, but they, they, they didn't like the Herods either, the Jews didn't. And then you have Annas and Caiaphas as high priests who were kind of... The high priesthood at, it, under Moses was not a political office, but by the time that Christ came, the high priesthood had devolved into a very political office one that was sought after because it was 
way, a way to make money and gain power and prestige. And it was devolved around, of course, lineage and family. And it was all about it was all about the power and the wealth. Power and the wealth. It wasn't about key, and that's why you find these two men here, Annas and Campus, were so wicked and treacherous. That sounds familiar, almost. Well, of course it does. People haven't changed at all. We think, oh, things are bad now. We got politicians on the take. Oh, please, read read any history, read a history book. We're probably better off than most of them used to be. But in any event, that's another story. Getting worse. But this is the threefold government that was in place in Palestine uh, during the life of Jesus Christ, and it explains a lot of the events that take place, especially. And Jerry, you're astute for bringing this up because it explains some of the events that took place around the trial and crucifixion of Jesus. Well, um, and one of the reasons why the Herods uh, seemed to be somewhat successful at, at keeping the peace was Herod actually remodeled and rebuilt their temple for yes. them. He provided the funds. and, and He had an interest in being known. Herod the Great is a great... Builder and architect and, and, and all was, this, and he, he was, was good at it. Yes. A great builder and architect. So he but, used that to ingratiate himself to the Jewish people. Right. And some of the things he built are are still around today, and uh, you know, quite uh, extraordinary in in what they are. Yes. Um, so when you read about, uh, and you can read about Pontius Pilate and Jesus, in uh, I mentioned the verse in Matthew and Mark, and then you have in Luke. Chapter 23, you have him. He had some other dealings with them. Uh, he's handed over to Pilate, and you can read about that. And then the, one of the more famous ones that has much of the dialogue is because John was there. In John 18 or so, you get this confrontation of Pilate and Jesus uh, after his arrest and before he was put to death. You get a, a close-up view of what's going on there because John was right there and seen and saw it all. So you get this... Um, you get this different picture uh, of it, but those are the—that's the reason that it's like it is. So yes, Judea was a province of Rome. It was, you know, kind of a rebellious province a little bit, and it was continually problematic to the Romans, as was found then in the year 67 or so A.D. approximately. There was a big revolt in Palestine, which led eventually in A.D. 70 to the destruction of the temple. This is some of that distress that Paul's talking about sometimes in the New Testament, even. And then other persecutions, because of, uh, Christians were accused of these crimes, uh, took place across the empire. But that this great destruction of the temple after uh, 30 years after Christ was put to death is a major event in Bible history. And it signaled the end of the sacrificial system and the, and the government of Ju the Jews or Jewish people. But there's not a Jewish government under the law of Moses even today in Israel. And there, were, and there, was, no, no there was no temple, system. so they could not keep the law of Moses. Yeah. No priesthood, nothing exists today, even though there's Jews in Palestine, uh, and they call themselves Israel. It's nothing like it was back then. It never has been restored, and I don't think it ever will be restored, because that's not God's intention. He destroyed it on purpose back then, so that his kingdom, the kingdom of Christ, which is the true kingdom of God, is the one that's going to be uh, around forever he says and boy we could spend a couple of shows, shows on that yes. that subject alone and we've talked about that many times in the show in the past you're going to go back and look at some of the archives but uh that's kind of where this is and that explains some of these events that took place people are celebrating easter today gary i, I sometimes forget that because we don't keep easter as a religious holiday but uh, the, they um uh, here because it's not in the bible 
but people are celebrating Easter, and so it's probably on people's minds about this trial that happened. Well, there's a lot so on forth. television about it. So. Now, we went, when I was in Jerusalem last year, um, we walked what's called the Via Dolorosa, or in Latin, the, the Way of Sorrow, that supposedly takes you from Pilate's house to the cross as, and so forth as they led Jesus. And there's these stations of the cross, and you go. Now, we walked that. Of course, it looks nothing like it did then, I'm sure, because it's all built up around. You're walking down narrow, crowded streets. There's no wider, Gary, most places than this room, which is like 10 feet wide. And there's shops on all sides, very high. You can't see up above you very much. And then on the wall, you'll see this little stone thing that tells you what station this is. And so you walk through all these events, like where he stumbled and someone was, took, his, took his place, where he spoke to the women. You have all these little events of the Via Dolorosa. Now, there's no way to know exactly if that's right or not. Some of it's probably pretty close because we have an idea of where uh, Pilate's palace was or his, uh, his building was. And then it takes you outside to the city to the, well, where they think the crucifixion was at what's now called the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, right around there, and where the grave was. Of course, that's not for sure historically either. Big debate about that, which we examined when I was over there, went to a couple different sites that purport to be the site of the crucifixion and the site of the burial of Christ, which I can talk about at length. But, but you see this pathway, and you, but you get an idea if they're leading him through the streets of Jerusalem and there anything at all like some of those streets are today, people were thronged up against this, and they would be all crowded up around a man being executed, because here would come the Roman soldiers and the guard. They'd know some big thing was happening. There'd be shouting going ahead of this prisoner being led along there uh, with his cross, carrying part of his cross and all that, and people are hurling accusations at him, spitting on him. Some of them are mourning him and all this kind of stuff. He even turns to the women and says, don't mourn for me, mourn for yourselves, you know. Because he knew he knew that city was going to be destroyed, and so. Uh, which brings me to another rabbit. You, you, you mentioned John eight. Well, it's Easter, so we can chase rabbits today. Okay, right, okay. Right, Gary. Okay, go ahead. If they're chocolate, I guess. Uh, okay. <laughs> Not peeps. We don't do peeps on. Right. I don't do peeps. Then go ahead. Uh, in John eighteen, there's an account here where uh, they came to the garden to get Jesus, and it says basically, uh, Judas was given a detachment, a whole detachment of troops. Officers from the chief priests, Pharisees. This is John 18, verses 1 through about 11 is the account. Uh-huh. And it says, uh, Pharisees came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. Jesus, right. therefore, knowing all things that would come upon them, went forward and said to them, Whom are you seeking? In verse 5, And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said to them, I am he. And Judas, who betrayed him, also stood with him. Now when he said to them, I am and the he there is in is italics, in italics. In they drew back and fell to the ground. That always impressed me. That impressed me that Jesus had agreed to this happening, that they had no power over no. him, that, that he didn't give them. When they said, we're look, basically, who are, you, who are you seeking, he says, and they said, Jesus of Nazareth, they didn't even recognize him. He says, I am. He just basically held his hand up and said, I am. And of course, in Hebrew, that would be the name of God in right. their view of the I am as the I am. Of course, and the he is 
put in in English to make it in italics. If you look right. in your Bible, it's probably in italics. And they fell backwards. <laughs> and fell to the ground. <laughs> fell to the ground because of his, he intentionally kind of knocked them down with his words. And he didn't back down. He didn't run away or anything like that. And so... Uh, <laughs> it, it seems to me that, that maybe even there was some aspect of him that that made him recognizable as something different. Yeah. Uh, not, well, that it may been, not be just well, the words. Well, then he asked him again, who are you seeking? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. He told, I've told you I'm he. Therefore, if you seek me, uh, let these go their way. He points at disciples and said, you want me? Just let these men go. And so... Um, I, I, thought, be, I thought that was an interesting account. Yes. And it, it, I believe it points back, Mike, that this had been planned from the beginning. And Jesus was allowing this to happen. Yeah. You know, I just I just saw something, noticed something here, Gary, that's, you know, it says right after this event, when Jesus says, let these men go. Then Simon Peter, the next verse, verse 10, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servants and cut off his ear, his right ear. And the servant's name was Malchus. I, I think this, um, let me see, how would that work? If he's left-handed, he's going to, in the, Guy's facing him. He's going to cut off his right ear. So maybe Peter was left-handed. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> but, but it, that's not what I noticed. I noticed that too. Uh, and so Jesus then said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup which my father has given me? Now, people debate about this G Peter pulling the sword. I don't think Peter did wrong here. I don't think this means Jesus is against using weapons. Jesus has already told them before that, do you have any weapons? And they said, yes, we have two swords. He said, well, that's enough. You need swords. But this case, Jesus intended to be taken. That's the point you're making. Yes. And he, was he intended them to take him at this point. He was going to permit it. Now, he, and that's why, and it just struck me. Jesus had said to them, the, the rest of them, let these men go. And since was telling Peter, you all go away. You got nothing to do with this anymore. It's not your affair. And yet Peter stepped forward in spite of what Jesus said, and cut off this man's ear. Now, I think that's partly what Jesus was rebuking him for a little bit. I told you to go away. It's not, you're not the one that's going to be put to, he needed them to live, right? Yes. And, and so he, he didn't want them taken there. And, and so it, this hasn't got to do anything to do with whether it's right or wrong to have a weapon. It's got to do with whether it was Peter's privilege and right at that point to ignore what Jesus said, which was, let these men go. go. Uh, it, it's interesting to me. I think one of the other accounts is, uh, it says Jesus said to Peter, "Put your sword in its place." Its sheath, yes. Yeah. Well, it has a place. Says, so another account I think says, says "Place." Your, yes, it does. Put your sword in its and, place. And other ones say, "Because he who lives by the sword will perish by the sword." Is that what it says? No, I think he's saying there is a place for your sword, and this is not it. This is not it. Yes, and that's how I take it because of, of the other. When you put all the pa all the scriptures together. Like people quote, thou shalt not kill about capital punishment. And that pat, well, they need to read the rest of that chapter. The same chapter that says thou shalt not kill in Exodus 20 get, lists a whole series of death penalties. Well, properly, so, I mean, you know, obviously, properly translated, it's not thou shalt not kill, thou no shalt murder. not murder. I know, but I'm saying even if it's thou, they'll put up the sign at, at Rayford, thou shalt not kill. And if they read the rest of the chapter in Exodus 20, they would see that there's a whole bunch of death penalties listed there. Crimes, so it's obvious he doesn't. He's not talking about the death penalty when he says, "Thou shalt not kill." They're Same thing about here. The illegal you, taking right, of life. You've murder. got to read the whole thing to see what's being said there. So, 
Um, th then Peter is taken before the high priest and the court of the high priest. I would, in Jerusalem, there, there, there is a, the house of the high priest Caiaphas. And um, you, you see there, that they have a statue, a sculpture near there of a rooster crowing. Um, Peter and the rooster, you know, this is what. And there, there's also there, Gary, something I didn't realize. There was, there's a pit. that can, They have steps carved into it now where you can go down into it. But it's a hollowed out place in the rock, go down in this pit. And they apparently would lower prisoners down into this pit. They couldn't get out. It's too high, too narrow, too narrow. Smooth walls. You Smooth run. walls. So they, when they would, and when they would, they put a harness on them and lower them in there to keep them until the trial or until they could be dealt with. And so there's references to Jesus by being down the pit and so forth. This is what they think, where they think perhaps that was that they would put him in there until they can bring him before Pilate at this same place. And so this was an actual actually a serious event and any Jew that was brought there would know that he was liable to be put to death if the Pharisees could persuade the Romans to do it or at least be severely punished and beaten in this case and so they brought him up then they questioned the high priest questioned him and so forth and so on we can do all that Peter then denies over the course of, of uh, the evening three times he denies him and uh, and then he's then he's taken to Pilate. Then they led uh, they led him from Caiaphas to the Praetorium, and it was early in the morning. And they themselves did not go into the Praetorium, the Jews, lest they should be defiled. And I'm reading now from John 18:28. And so they wanted to eat the Passover. And so Pilate then went out to them and said, "What accusation do you bring against this man?" And so. Um, if he were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him up to you. So that's a great thing. That's a great line. Well, if he was an evildoer, we wouldn't have. I think the police kind of use that in court today. Well, if he wasn't guilty, we wouldn't put him on trial. Oh, yes. That's uh, kind of the way sometimes it's a picture. Well, we arrested him, so it's obviously he's guilty because we arrested oh, that, him. You know? That other account is in Matthew 26, beginning in verse 22. It says, but Jesus said to him, put your sword in its place. For all who take to the sword will perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot now pray to my father and he will provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? Right. Right. It, it's, it's amazing to me uh, that this was done in terms of basically Jesus agreed to this to happen. Right. They could have had no power at all over him had it not been that he allowed it. Exactly. Now, we got a couple texts from John here. Um, he's first, I didn't see these. They first came in a few minutes ago. Sorry about that, John. That uh, He calls it the twice-a-year church, Christmas and Easter. Uh, unfortunately, that's very true. And uh, if, you, if you, listening to this show, are, are um, serious about what we're talking about here about New Testament Christianity, you're, you're going to be more than a twice-a-year Christian. It's going to be something that doesn't revolve around religious holidays. It revolves around the first day of the week and the, and the resurrection of Christ. Each first day is death. It changes your life, changes what you're living for, and it, it, it occupies the forefront of all your actions and thoughts. 
how you should be. And it occupies your standing in the world as a man or woman based on relationship to God. So, yes, it's more than twice a year. But once the church in the 300s and onward became a civil institution recognized by the government as this great thing, everything changed. And I read the quotes last week from the historians that everything in 325 was much different than it was in the first century because the church had to win popular acceptance. And it got worse from that point on. So that you have the, then these people called Christians who don't even believe in the resurrection, who, who aren't following Christ, who, who don't care to, to lay down their life for him and take up their cross and follow him. They're only doing it because it's politically or, or expedient in their family for them to be called a Christian. A family where your parents are and you're baptized as a baby baby that makes you a christian even though you never follow christ so yes that's that twice a year christian and um you know we don't aren't advocating that at all i think that's where a lot of the problems with that unbelief the prop the problems a lot of unbelievers have with the church over time have come from that kind of christianity okay and then the other kind is the ones that are seemingly so devoted to christianity but um they really devoted to promoting themselves. We see that on the TV all the time. And um, he says, here though is an interesting comment. I'm not sure we have the resources in the next 15 minutes to deal with this or not. If you lay out all four stories of, the, I guess, the four gospel accounts of these events, it's hard to reconcile them, John says. Uh, different commentaries tried different timelines. Different commentators, I guess, tried different timelines. Well, there, there are some differences and some discrepancies and so, so forth about some of this in the four accounts. Now, the other way to look at that, understand that, I think is probably more valuable, what's been done historically, is that these then represent eyewitness accounts that are said, well, this is how I remember it happening. And these were very, very serious and emotional events. This is not just someone, you know, going out for a picnic on the 4th of July trying to remember what happened. These are life-threatening, life-changing events happening at night going on around them. And so, yes, you might find different accounts there. Uh, and so it probably adds to – and it probably somewhat adds to the credibility of these witness accounts that they weren't all doctored and made to match up. You know, and if these people say, well, all these documents were created dozens or hundreds of years after the event. Well, if that was true, they would all certainly match up with each other because they would you'd be work, trying to make them match up. You'd work one document you'd from work the them other. together. If you were trying to create something a long time later, you wouldn't leave all these discrepancies or differences in there. But these are, are these are things that, ha that people said, and they were preserved as such as they were. They were from different perspectives. And, and Luke, for example, wasn't there himself. He got his accounts from other eyewitnesses. John was there. Uh, possibly Mark was there, or at least Peter was there, and he may have got that. Matthew was there for some of this, although it says the disciples fled, and they watched from a, from a distance, at least Peter did. So now we don't have time to go into all of those, but that, that's the thing that I see about it. Yeah, and yet there are still debates in Christianity about whether Jesus was crucified on what we would call a, um, was taken prisoner on what we would call a Thursday night, or whether it was Friday. And then how do you get to three days? I, I personally believe, and I maybe you know, I can understand the debate about this, that it, what we call Thursday night is when 
the good supper um, took the last supper took place. The Passover was eaten. Jesus put was taken before Pilate right after this and put to death then. The day of preparation, which they were concerned about, getting his body off the cross, that day of preparation is a day that we would call Friday. And, of course, now they're counting it from, from uh, 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., at least in some of these accounts. And then he, so he spent part of Friday, what we would call Friday in the, in the tomb, all day Saturday, and then p- part of Sunday after the sun came up, he spent in the tomb. Okay? So... Uh, there are the three days there, and and yet if you, it's, I think it's uh, Luke. I think puts it in Roman time. Some of these events in Roman time, which makes it a little bit more different, difficult to put it together. And so, um, yeah, sundown starts another day. Now the question then becomes: Was Jesus eating the Passover supper before sundown when the lambs were slain, or would he, or was he actually doing it? Some people say on Wednesday. I, I believe that the Gospels say the, for the next day was the day of preparation. If you'll look in many translations, you will see that phrase, day of preparation, is capitalized because it is, um, it, it's, what they, it's how the Jews were counting a day. It, it was the Sabbath day and then the day of preparation was considered what we would call Friday, as it were. Uh, and John, uh, well, you have this in uh, Matthew 26, where it says that Mary Magdalene was there, Mary sitting opposite the tomb on the next day, after when they crucified him, the next day, which was, which followed the day of preparation. So this is saying that the day that they buried Jesus, uh, was Friday because the next day, is the day that followed the day of preparation. The chief priests gathered, gathered to Pilate, saying, We remember when his disciples were alive, or when he was alive, the deceiver said, Three days I will rise again, and so forth. So you have, the, it seems to me clearly in Matthew 27, at least by that account, that the day of pre- that Jesus was crucified um, on the day of preparation, or Friday. And then um, you have this, this statement in, um, now where am I? Hang on. What verse was that in Matthew? That that was Matthew twenty seven, sixty two. Okay, that's what I thought. Yes, I'm sorry, I may not have given that reference. And then in John nineteen, about fourteen, thirteen or fourteen. So that's when they say to him, "If you let this man go, you're not Caesar's friend. For whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar." Then it says, "When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus out and sat down in the judgment seat, the place that's called the pavement." But in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now it was the preparation day of the Passover, and about the sixth hour, and he said to the Jews, Behold your king. So the preparation day of the Passover, in this case, would be Thursday evening. Thursday, that's preparation, I'm probably saying this wrong, and Friday evening was the Passover. The preparation day we would call part of Thursday, part of Friday. And so that's when the preparation day. A lot, a lot of this comes. The question is, is when, well, the question comes on John texted about this is, since Jesus was a Passover lamb, you know, when was he crucified? Well, he was crucified about the time or around the time that they were killing the lambs at the temple, which would have been going towards sundown. They wanted them all killed before sundown because that's when the next day started, and so they were killing these lambs 
literally in Hebrew, or as the sun is declining, it says, you kill this lamb. So that would be late afternoon onward, they were killing these lambs. And so, anyway, that's the debate, and we can have a long debate about that, but you end up with the three days. And yes, there's probably a difference when some of this is happening as far as the hours are concerned. But I do know that the, the day of preparation, if you look in your most all of your translations, like I'm looking at the New King James right here, it has this day of preparation in all yeah, caps. Does yours that, have that same? Yes, in its verse 62 of chapter 20, 27. Uh, yes, and so then you've got you've got that all in uh, also. Um, well, whatever verse I just read. Well, a lot of uh, this arises, I think, Mike, from the way that we generally talk, even today. Nineteen fourteen, John nineteen fourteen. Even also. today, I'm liable to say, you know, it, we went somewhere that day, and I don't say whether it was part of the day or the whole day. Daylight or, or night, whatever. or daylight or night, we we just went there on that day, because we're not that precise about what we're saying. And I can tell you from reading about ancient history and things. They kept time very differently than we do. They didn't have smart watches that told them down to the second. I mean, before we go on the air here, Ray at the station is telling me you got one minute to go in my ear. Or, your, or your, one your, minute, ten seconds. One minute, ten seconds. And when he's telling me it's, it's nine o'clock, my computer clock shows within a second. This morning it was exactly on the second yeah. when he said it was nine o'clock to start. So they didn't have anything like that in the ancient world to be that precise about time. They depended on the sun and the sun, and sometimes you know there was a difference in, in hours. So in other words, um, and, and they weren't they weren't as particular or uh, act precise about the dates or days of the year. Sometimes they were. Now, don't make any mistake about that. But in the fifth year of the reign of Tiberius or whatever, well, that's a broad time. We don't. We would. We'd say January something or other. But uh, but they don't say that. We, we got a phone call, Gary. Okay. But go ahead. Finish. You want to no, say? No, go that? ahead. Go ahead. All right, Ken, are you on the line there? Yeah, Mike. I want to answer your question for you as far as uh, how Jesus can die on the Passover and still celebrate the Passover. Okay. Uh. I think I would have an answer. I think I have an idea in my mind, but you probably have it more clearly. Go ahead. Yeah, the priests who were very busy on Passover, killing Passover lambs and stuff, were allowed to celebrate the Passover before Passover. Okay. All right. That makes sense. And they're following. They were kind of above the law or... Or um, something like something that. Like that. In the sense that they, they they didn't get accused of breaking the Sabbath, even though they worked on the Sabbath, because it was obvious they had to work on the Sabbath. Are you still there, Ken? I mean, they were allowed. So they were allowed to celebrate the Passover before the actual Passover. I got you, and so that's why Jesus and his disciples may have celebrated the Passover a few hours earlier than the rest of the people were doing it. Well, actually, he was the high priest. And he, yeah, he was the high priest <laughs> and type. That's right. And so, uh, and, and then, the, and then, therefore, the lambs were being killed, or maybe not. Uh, most of the lambs were being killed while they were celebrating it. So there's still time for him to do all this and get it all done. So they did it ahead of time. Okay, that's a good point, Ken. And uh, you know, I, I don't 
I had to go back and read some of my uh, reference books on this, but I do think I remember hearing something about this before. If, if you want to read a good account of trying to piece these times and, and some of the differences together, you can get your hands on uh, a book, old book called Alfred, it's by Alfred Edersheim. He was a converted Orthodox Jew in the 1880s, wrote a book called The Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah. It's the best, it's the best life of Jesus that I know of. The Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah. You can get it in PDF form now on the internet. It, it, but it, he goes into detail about this very problem with the Passover and the, the dates and times and all that stuff and, and what might be discrepancies. He goes in great detail about that. It's just been a while since I've read it in detail. Ken, are you still there? Do you want to add anything else to this? Yeah. Um, um, Jesus was killed on the day of Passover, same time as the lambs. And he was, he was taken down off the cross because he was already dead. Remember that he, they were surprised he was already dead? Yes. He had to be taken down before sunset. Yes. They wanted to get him, they wanted to get him down before sunset. So he wouldn't, they wouldn't be defiled messing around with him. And that's what they meant by they, they want to get it done there before sunset. So he was killed a little earlier than he was killed in the afternoon. The, some of the lambs had already, yeah. that's when the lambs were being sacrificed, you're saying. And uh, so the three days and three nights. Thursday night, he was in the grave. Friday night, he was in the grave. Saturday night, he was in the grave. Right, okay. Sunday, uh, Friday morning, Saturday morning, and Sunday morning. And then he rose Sunday morning. Rose, uh, rose early on Sunday morning, that's correct. Which would be after 6 a.m. approximately Jewish time. That's right. Okay, well, I really appreciate that, Ken. That helps a lot. Thank you for, I wasn't coming to my mind there. Thank you for clearing that up. I think that makes sense. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back and do a little bit of reading this week. A lot of people have that question about how can he die on Sabbath and then, I mean, on Passover and celebrate the Passover at the same time. Yeah. Well, that's because there was a difference there yeah, in time. Okay, I see that. Yeah, they had to make allowances for the priests, and, and so some of the lambs were being offered a little bit early. You know, uh, John made the point about uh, this, that my point is that people don't even notice these discrepancies because they don't read the text. And I, I agree with that point. And so it, it's, a one, it's one thing, and I, it's one thing to uh, read a sanitized version of everything. Another thing, quite a thing, to read the text itself. And each of these accounts is a little bit different. And well, they're, very, the, they're very gritty and very real. And The wording is different, but the essence of what happened no, is it, all the, the same. same. That's... I well, mean, in one place he says put the sword in the sheath, another place says put it in its place. You know, these are the same. Right. And we're out of time. Yes, but that's I appreciate you calling uh, Ken and Jerry, and thank you for texting John. I appreciate that very much. We need to wrap the show up this morning. We're really glad that you've listened too. You know, you can get a podcast of this show at wearejustchristians.com. Click on the radio show, and you can listen to the show. Uh, anytime you want to and have it sent to any devices. You can even listen live and so can your friends anywhere in the world on the TuneIn radio app, Alexa devices, and Google Chrome. 
or if you just go to WPSL.com and click on Listen Live, wherever they are in the, in the world, they can listen to the show live, or they can get the recordings, whichever you want. Thanks for listening. We appreciate it very much. We invite you to come and be with us, 2196 Southwest Savona Boulevard here in Port St. Lucie. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you. WPSL Port St. Lucie.